Good morning. My name is Lasoli Madaris. I go by Lucky. I'll be reading from the book of John, chapter 13, verse 33 to 38. Little children, yet little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I will also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I loved you. You will also are to love one another. By this, the people will know that you are my disciples. If you have loved one another, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, I am going where you cannot follow me now, but you will, fo- you will follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Is that on? There I am. Thank you, Lucky. Appreciate that. I love listening to Lucky talk. It brings me back to Boston. You didn't get to hear it enough. You subdued that accent a little bit for us, Lucky. I say next time, just let it loose. Forget about it. And Don, thank you so much for the perfect setup for our time in the Word this morning. I don't know, with moments like that, Elijah's song that we just got to hear and everything, don't you just kind of find yourself just kind of basking, this is where I need to be right now. That's why I need to be learning and listening to and letting the Spirit of God just kind of saturate my heart and make His goodness known to me. Um, we often experience the opposite all week long. Um, and as a result of um, our own or some of the trouble that we run into out there, some of the trouble we inflict on ourselves, we come in kind of like I felt like my Jeep all week just covered in grimy, sandy grossness from this weather and this half melting season we're in and all this kind of stuff. And that's often what's going on in our souls. And so a reminder of what Jesus did by washing the feet of the disciples, what I've done to you and making us um, all the way clean, but then experiencing his, mor- his mercies every single morning. So it's great really to be in the house of the Lord. As we sang at the beginning, there's joy here and uh, there's celebration. So um, I am, I'm cognizant of our clock and I know that we've got kids in here and things. So I'm going to try to kind of edit on the fly, but I, I think that it's important that we spend a little bit of time in the passage that Lucky just read for us because it introduces, or at least brings back in one of my favorite characters amongst the disciples and that's Simon Peter. And, um, I, I appreciate Simon because he's a little bit opposite of my personality. And so sometimes you know how it is you, you, you meet somebody or you're around people that are the opposite of you and they either give you courage or they give you calm, depending on what end of the spectrum you're on. And, uh, that opposite kind of balances you out. So anytime I see somebody like Simon Peter, that, that kind of, um, impetuous or that kind of has to dive in head first, or in with another diving analogy, in with both feet, or whatever the analogy will be. But that's Peter. He's just bold and available and ready to go. 
and sees everything kind of in a very black and white. His mind was made up three weeks ago what he was going to say today kind of thing. And I appreciate that. I have a tendency to walk into life a little bit more nuanced. I give a lot of benefit to the doubt. I have to think and mull things over for a long time before I make a a clear decision on how I'm going to act or what I'm going to say or do, it seems. And Peter just goes all in. And, And often, at least in my experience being around the pulpit and being under a lot of preaching and teaching and things over the years, often we set Peter up to kind of pick on him because of that personality. And we laugh under our breath a little bit about he's always, you know, I heard some some commentator write that the only time that Peter took one foot out of his mouth was to put the other one in and that kind of thing. And so we appreciate that about Peter and we kind of go, oh, that silly guy is getting himself in trouble. But then as I was doing my study in one particular commentator that I use quite a bit, um, a guy named uh, Kent Hughes, he took a position on Peter that I appreciated quite a bit. And that was more sympathetic, more appreciative of uh, what Peter brings to the table with his passion and his enthusiasm. Did it get him in trouble? Absolutely. But it gives us something to kind of hang our hat on and say, but there were people in Jesus' midst that were offering themselves, that were making bold claims and going all in and saying, I'm going to go all the way to the end with you. And that's what we find in our passage here in John 13. In all that Peter offers, there comes a couple of stark warnings that I hope to extract for us this morning and make sure that we hear clearly because Peter had to come to a place of being over Peter. He had to be done with who he was in order to be who God was planning for him to be, was molding him to be. Peter had to stop being enamored with Peter and his boldness and his his uh, um, black and whiteness and all these kinds of things in order for Jesus to make him to be what we now know him to be. And in the midst of this um, dialogue here, in just a few verses, we're going to look at 36 through 38 under the microscope this morning. And there's one little phrase before we move on that I think is going to help set the tone here a little bit where he's, Jesus says to Peter after Peter's already been like, Hey, Hey, wait a second. What is this talk about you going somewhere? Why do you keep bringing this up? I'm not letting you out of my sight. Jesus says where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. This is reminiscent to John chapter eight, when he's talking to unbelievers and skeptics around him. And they're like, why does he keep talking about he's going to leave? Is he going to off himself? Why does he keep talking about he's taking off? And Jesus answer to them was, you won't be able to follow me, period. The hopelessness in addressing the unbelievers. In other words, if you don't follow me, if you don't accept me, if you don't believe in me as the sent son of God, you're not going to go where I'm going to go. But the tone is different with the disciples. He says, where I'm going, you can't follow me right now. This part I have to do by myself. This is all on me. I appreciate your desire. I appreciate your your loyalty. This is all on me. So Jesus answers, you can't follow me now, but you will follow afterward. I want Romans 8, 38 and 39 to be somewhere in the background of our thinking as we go through this small part of the text In John 13, what does Romans 8 say? For I am sure that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. There's the underscore. In case I missed anything, nothing else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, Paul is making this theological claim and this promise Years after Peter has this encounter with Jesus, but this is the kind of love, this is the kind of promise that Peter needed to hang on to after going through what he was about to go through. So we have a case study with Peter and it comes from a a fall to the Lord putting him on his feet. And these warnings that we're going to come out of this passage, I think, are going to be brief for us. But if we if we pause on them, if we slow down, I think it will change our approach to this life. It will give us a a new set of glasses, if you will, to see the opportunities ahead for us in 2022. The first warning is to don't is to not overestimate your own strengths. And I'm going to put strengths in quotes here. Because as we're going to see from the actions of Peter and all that happens, not just in this passage, but in some other supporting ones, these strengths have a tendency to lie to us, to mislead us. You're going to be okay because you're so-and-so, or you know how to do such and such. And that kind of thing leaves us high and dry. And so we're going to see this warning play out here as we kind of quickly move through this, this story about Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ. And it's hard to miss Peter because his personality is so big. His, his presence is there in the scriptures. The scriptures don't shy away from setting Peter up as an example for good or bad. He gets mentioned quite a bit. And so his personality we see coming through in this little phrase here, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? He even says, I would lay down my life for you. See, Peter's anticipating that the heat's cranking up, that it's going to get difficult for Jesus. He knows what's expected of him. And so he knows Jesus is heading into trouble. So I'll go too. Even if it costs me my own life, I'm one step behind you, if that. I think it's interesting here how quickly Peter moves past this new command that Jesus had just laid down. Don spelled it out for us that after Jesus had washed the feet of the disciples and he said, do you understand what I've done to you? And and then he says, I, I, this is a new command I've given you that you love others as I have loved you. And we talked about how important that was that it, the demonstration of love from Jesus was even towards his enemy and the traitor Judas, an instrument of Satan. And Jesus still showed that kind of sacrificial love to him. And it's like that, that new commandment went one in one ear and out the other for Peter. That's a difficult calling. That's, that's ugly. That's kind of squishy as far as like, I don't know how to really wrap my hands around that. I don't know what you're asking me to do. But when you're talking about leaving, that's something I know how to respond to because I ain't letting it happen. You see, this promise of future relief is a lot more attractive to us than obedience today. But obedience today is how we express our belief in the future that God promises us. 
Churches are getting hung up on this all the time. You, you, if you, if you hear people overemphasize all the promises of God and they're, they're listing them and everything, that's a good thing. They're in the scriptures. They are true. That's how we know that God is reliable because he's never broken a promise. I get all of that. But the emphasis is on all this future stuff that doesn't seem to arrive today. And we, we're, we're creating environments where people are just hanging on something almost like a fortune cookie that maybe it's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe it's going to happen tomorrow. Jesus is talking about a life, an eternal life that can be lived today. And that is lived often through the sacrifice of obedience and trust. Faith in what God has said is real and will come to pass. This is Peter's personality. He's going to jump ahead. He's going to dedicate himself. He's going to be loyal. We see his passion playing out here. You know, in scriptures, Peter is the most outspoken of the disciples, but he's also the most spoken to. It comes with a cost. He jumps ahead. He speaks out, but he's also the one that's most addressed. Like, there, there, Peter. Chill out just for a second. He's the most eager to act, but he's also one of the most obvious at confessing his allegiance to Christ. Anytime the apostles are listed or the disciples are listed, Peter is listed first and Judas is listed last. Now, nobody says why that ordering is that way, but I think we can make up our own minds that when we think of the apostles, that we often think of Peter first. Why? Because he was present. He was there. He was outspoken. He was big and brash. And Peter's reactions to all the things that he's seeing and hearing from Jesus, they range from foolish responses to and short-sighted to profound and, and honest, though. When Jesus had a miracle with the fishermen disciples who were having a difficult time all night catching any fish, Jesus says, oh, just drop the net on the other side. Peter, you know, kind of expressed them like, all right, you know, we're experienced. We know how to do this. And in Luke 5, he says, but, you know, you're the master. You said to do it. So out of obedience, we'll do it. So Peter, at the height probably of his of his arrogance and his own fisherman abilities and stuff was dumbfounded with the fact that it worked, that there was so much fish coming into the nets that it almost broke them. And his response, Luke 5, tells us that when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, it takes a special insight. It takes a special sneaky kind of humility to go straight to the fact that you just did something godlike in my presence. Somebody that was all kind of whipped up in their own arrogance would have just said, well, you know, I was off that time. Or wasn't that weird? We just fished there and nothing happened. But hey, good, good, good one, Jesus. You figured this one out. You got us that time. He instantly goes to worship. And when Jesus was asking his disciples, you know, I have a reputation out there. What are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? Others were saying, well, they believe you're a prophet, you're Elijah, something like that. And Peter just jumps out and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus then says, that was the perfect answer. It's one that you didn't get out of your own noggin. But that's what the Holy Spirit has revealed to you. That's what God has himself has revealed to you. And as Jesus was walking on water towards the disciples in the boat after they've been struggling all night with getting to the other side, what does Peter do? We know from Matthew 14 that he answered him and says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. He's the first to try it. He's the first to trust. It's not just an adrenaline junkie. Somebody is thinking, I can do this. I can walk on the water because Jesus said it's possible. 
It's incredible faith. And when he saw the wind, he became human again. He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out again in faith, Lord, save me. There's so much that we can commend here in Peter as much as we kind of feel chagrined by him and want to hide our face and go, oh, I can't believe he said it again. But he does so many things right, even though he gets himself in trouble. This is who he is, his personality. But his presumption was that the great Peter, the one who can be relied on, the one who can be counted on, is going to protect Jesus from uh, anything that's going to come his way. That I am in it for the Lord's safety. I'm going to protect his glory. If he didn't have me, he'd be in major trouble. We already heard about the foot washing and his response to that, where he said, no, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus had to respond, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And Peter wasn't going to risk that. So he said, well, then hands, head, whatever you want to wash, I'm in. He attempted to protect the Lord's dignity. He didn't want him on his knees washing dirty feet and things. That's too big. That's too high. It's too low a task. I mean, for, for the bigness of who Jesus is. He attempted to protect the Lord's safety, as we're going to see as we get to John chapter 18. Jesus is, is, is being arrested in the garden. And a, uh, the soldier in John 18, it says, uh, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. I think that's great. If you get your ear chopped off, you deserve an honorable mention in the scripture. For generations to know who you were. We don't know much of, there's another mention of Malchus coming up later, but it's just interesting. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? Peter is going to protect Jesus. The only reason probably why he cut off his ear is because he hit his helmet and the sword went like this to the open ear. Peter wasn't just trying to inflict a flesh wound, trying to send a message. He was trying to off the guy. Peter was zealous. He was all in. You're not laying a hand on my, on my teacher, my master. The problem uh, is that it got heated beyond faithful passion to the point of blatant distrust of Jesus' words and an inflated sense of self. Matthew 26, Jesus, I mean, Peter answers Jesus. He says, though they all fall away, because of you, I will never fall away. Even if all of these jokers in the room deny you, walk out, I, you, you, you've got me. I will never go anywhere. Mark 14 also colors it. And he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all then said the same. They're like, yeah, what he said. That sounded like the right response. Why didn't I think of that? Or Peter always comes up with the good stuff. Jesus says, no, 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 before the, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter must have been doing the calculation and thinking to himself, wait a second, this is just a few hours off. I mean, the rooster starts going at it in the middle of the night. After midnight on the hour, he's like, you know, I can hold it together that long. He thinks I'm going to, he thinks I'm going to cave in the next few hours with all of this passion, with all of this zeal. In the moment that I'm in right now with him, I, I, he's got me pegged all wrong. Thought he knew all things, but he's missing this one. 
You see, though passion is often helpful, what you and I need to realize is it's still a feeling. And feelings mislead us. No matter what you feel in the moment does not guarantee that you're right, does not guarantee that it'll come out the way that you feel that it will. Passion is a good thing. In this life, we celebrate passion. What do we tell people to do? Find your passion. If you find your passion, you haven't worked a day in your life. Even if you're getting paid, go find your passion. And there's something to that. I'm not trying to say that we deny ourselves that, that God has built within us passions that are worth pursuing and things. But when we elevate the feelings that so often mislead us, we get ourselves into trouble. Case in point, Peter is on perfect display for us here. Because see, the passion of Peter sought to hinder the passion of the Christ. Oftentimes, Peter's well-intentioned passion, but also self-serving passion, if Jesus had given in, would have stopped the whole plot of salvation. Our second warning where I'd say maybe encouragement is really out of left field compared to what we would typically wake up thinking about, certainly different than what our culture would say that we should be pursuing or welcoming in our life. But Peter had to go through this and he's put it on display that what this ends up being in his life was nothing short of a blessing. And that's to welcome our own undoing. Peter takes a real deep plunge. He's entered into this phase of denial and, and uh, Jesus had said this was going to happen. Peter doubted that he was capable of denying Jesus and yet it still happens. And he, he sinks to the depths of his experience in following Jesus. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of borrow from several different gospel accounts here just to string this together for clarity from John and Mark and Luke. But John 18 says the servant girl at the door that is, is waiting as, as Peter is making his way and Jesus has been arrested and he's being led into captivity. And so the disciples are following, but kind of at a distance and they're trying to see what's going on. And they come into this passageway and the servant girl that lets him in says, you're also not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, nope, not me. Mark tells us in, in, uh, that the servant girl saw him and be, began again to say to the bystanders, this man's one of them, but he denied it again. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, no, 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 we got it this time. Certainly you're one of them for you are a Galilean. It's all over you. We can hear it. It's, it's true. In John 18, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. There's our Malchus mentioned again asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? <clears throat> he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know this man of whom you speak. Luke 22, Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and whipped bitterly. I find it interesting to say the least <clears throat> in our day of wanting to let ourselves off the hook and not feel any negative thoughts and we shouldn't dwell on the past and all these kinds of things that we say to ourselves in our therapeutic environment. 
Jesus, the king of all forgiveness, the king of all wiping the slate clean and erasing the record still in the moment of conviction, lets it weigh heavily on Peter's heart and he locks eyes with him. Said, didn't we talk about this? Didn't I say you would do this? Part of my personality would be like, I'm not, I mean, maybe at the time that I'm being traded in and being denied, if I were in Jesus shoes, I would have been more angry with Peter. But some of us would maybe like, oh, I don't want to look at him, make him feel worse. He's probably just dying a thousand deaths right now anyway. But Jesus just engages in the moment and says, you need to feel this, Peter. This is the beginning of your dismantling. By looking at Jesus, he sees himself in the mirror and all the letdown and all the, the, the weight of the ugliness of all this just transpired because he couldn't stick to his promise, his bold passion, the great and mighty and loyal Peter wasn't even present for three occasions, for three questions. So he went out and wept bitterly. Carson says, sadly, good intentions in a secure room after good food are far less attractive in a darkened garden with a hostile mob. At this point in his pilgrimage, Peter's intentions and self-assessment vastly outstrip his strength. Peter was being undone. He was being dismantled. Peter had to wake up to the acknowledgement that he wasn't as great and as cool and as mighty as he thought he was. You see, he's demonstrating for us failure's formula. There's something that goes on here. This whole combination that's being seen in the denial is one part gross ignorance of human weakness and another part arrogant independence. If I fail to think that I truly am capable of of being broken, of, of failure, of weakness. And I start to think I'm more capable than I truly am, especially in situations that I've never been through before, especially in, 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 uh, as people are depending on me and I say, I'll never let you down everything. Well, how do I know that I haven't been pressed? He was grossly ignorant of the human weakness that lived within him. Why? Because he was the one that was first on everybody's list. He had started to believe his own press. And that made him guilty of arrogant independence. Therefore, I don't really need the promise of Jesus. I don't need to take heed to Jesus warning because I got this. In fact, if anybody needs anybody, it's him needing me right now. This was the beginning of the end for Peter. This was his destruction. He was starting to see that his flesh, the great Peter and the, 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 uh, the true, the real, uh, him inside of him offered no lasting value. Kent Hughes says that if we suppose we'll be able to follow and serve Jesus because of our natural gifts, we had better prepare ourselves for a plunge like Peter's. Natural devotion and natural strength will always deny Jesus somewhere or sometime. It was inevitable. He was heading on this collision course because all he saw when he looked in the mirror was him and his strength. But Jesus wasn't done with Peter. I said at the outset that that Romans 8 passage that nothing's ever going to separate us from the love of God reminds us that Jesus is never done with his failures. 
with those of us that claim that we're going to serve him or, you know, 2022 is going to be a completely different story and I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to become uh, the, 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 the super Christian. I'm going to be the one that he can rely on. Jesus knows that he's not done with us, that we are headed for that inevitable crash. And we'll need the restoration of his grace. And he gives us in one portion of scripture that we've looked at. It was probably a couple of years ago. I get to talk to the students at Temple uh, Academy on Tuesday about this a little bit. Two of the most hopeful words I think I've found in scripture are, are, are come after uh, the angel was waiting in the empty tomb of Jesus and, and uh, the Marys and Salome, they're coming to give Jesus spices over his dead body and they come and they meet an empty tomb with an angel perched in it. And the angel says, don't freak out. Yeah, right. But I got some great news for you. And I want you to take this news that he is risen and that he's not done the work. I want you to take this news to the disciples. And here's the two words. And Peter. Who is feeling the lowest after all of this interaction, after Jesus' arrest and his crucifixion? It's Peter. He was at the height of his commitment and loyalty. And, and with those three denials and that reminder, that, that see-through-your-soul kind of stare of Jesus, he was brought to the lowest place he could be. So the angel knows he's got the message. God says, I want you to tell them, go tell the disciples and make sure Peter knows he's still part of them. Make sure he knows they haven't, that, that Jesus hasn't given up on him. When the disciples encounter a risen Savior, there's this reinvigoration. There's this boldness that enters them. And it's Peter's words in Acts 4 that help us to see these guys are a different breed now. They're remade. They, they, he was brought low. He was, he was fallen flat on his face. And a, a stupid rooster reminded him what an idiot he had been. But Jesus wasn't done with him. And rebuilds him and restores him. And so Acts chapter 4, Peter says, Let it be known to all of you who are watching, all of you what we have just witnessed, he says, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he's not chickening out anymore, is he? Whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they had been uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Before, they were laughing at him. They were picking on him, causing him to swear to lose it in the face of pressure. Now they're blown away. They had recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is all the difference. Culture is trying to get us to get in better touch with ourselves. Go find the real you. Go spend time out in the desert somewhere to find out who you really are. Go on your journey. Go on your trip. Go on your whatever. While God's children are changing the world by getting closer to Jesus. Peter had been on his own journey. He found what was in the substance in the core of himself. And it was nothing like he had perpetuated. He had told everybody, including Jesus, who knew him better than anybody else. You can count on me. I stick. Jesus is like, no, you don't. 
In just a few hours, you're going to realize how unsticky you really are. That's exactly what happens. Peter has come to the end of himself. He's discovered that in me dwells no good thing. Therefore, all I have is my Savior. All I have is the restoration and rejuvenation that his forgiveness has provided for me. You see, God's children are changing the world the closer they get to Jesus and the more they deny and move away from the core of who they are and instead let the Holy Spirit remake them. So in short, as we kind of look at these warnings and ask ourselves a few questions, we have to ask ourselves, will we invite a dismantling of our own flesh this year? Can we look at 22 and say, this is going to be my greatest undoing with a smile on our face? Don't, don't think that what I'm saying is that Jesus wants us to be miserable and everything blow up in our face. That isn't, that isn't the point. The point is that those things are up to him, how our lives go, how our years go, however, those kinds of things. It's our obsession with making it about us, living our best life now, experiencing all the self-protection and self-glory that we so often fight for, that if we just release that and let it go, we start to make room for the fact that he will move in and say, I can be the center of you. And I never fail. I never, I never walk away from a commitment. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, he told Paul after Paul was struggling with, with the way his life was going, the great apostle Paul kind of off to the side admits, but I have a few things in my life that really bug me. And I got to tell you, I beg God to get rid of them for me. Cause I really felt like I could do a lot more for him if he'd just clear up some of these things that, that nag at me in my life. And so Paul says, instead, what I came to understand was that Jesus said in second Corinthians 12, that my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, of my dismantling so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have shared everyone's sentiments that it would be really great to just put 2021 behind us and move on. I get it. In my flesh, that's where I'm at as well. Paul, however, challenges me because he says, if I'm welcoming calamities and welcoming difficulties, why? Because it keeps me in check. It keeps me from becoming the me I think I am when I'm really not and causes me instead to rely on the goodness and the provisions of my savior. That's where my strength comes from. The second question about these challenges then is, will you prefer Christ's strength over your own inevitable failure. We're gonna have our Peter moments. We're going to brag or have a set of expectations on ourselves to have something turn out that's gonna let us down or we're gonna go, boy, I just didn't have it together like I thought. So will you prefer Christ's strength over your own inevitable failure? Our perceived strengths, the things that you and I rely on, the things that you think are going to get you through the day or the week or your life, are actually weaknesses in God's estimation that the Lord wants to remake in you and let his strengths show up instead. Why? Because they get in the way of his glory. 
We often think that if God's people are just talented and great and successful and everything goes right, everything they touch turns to gold, that God will get more glory. But the the God of glory gets more when we're prone to blow it. And he says, but I can fix that. I can forgive that. My strength is made perfect in that weakness. That would be a resolution that I think all of us could sign up for and be pleasing to the Father. Would you stand and join me in prayer? Lord God, our hearts and our minds are battle-weary from the last couple of years. And I admit, Father, that my fantasy says that as soon as the the, the calendar flips, that all those problems go away. We know that's not true, but we want to just kind of walk in that moment from time to time and find some relief in the hope that a new year brings all new uh, glories and possibilities and freedoms and things. And Lord, you want what's best for your people. You want us to thrive and to be healthy and whole before you, God. But we have defined what that means based on passing circumstances and an earthly kingdom. But Lord, you're doing a bigger work in us. You're meeting us at our lowest points. You're forgiving our failures. You're rebuilding us into the men and women that you see us being down the road. And that is what is being built for all of eternity. So Lord, help us not to get caught up in all of the little things that we think will give us a better existence. But instead, offer it all to you. Make your eternal kingdom our focus, our goal, and our pleasure. And we thank you, Lord, for meeting us here and being such a faithful father to us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.